Oh, welcome. Here we go. Um, hi, this is uh, Jake Lidke, and I'm here hosting the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast, where we cover uh, effective marketing strategies and ideas to grow your cannabis dispensary delivery service or brand. Um, this week, we have Wes McQuillan, who's principal at Alter Strategies. He is a multi-award winning senior marketing executive to focus on alternative strategies for the hard to advertise. He helps companies in challenging ind industries navigate complicated advertising and marketing compliance issues to achieve their goals, stand out in a crowded field, and overcome stigma. He's won multiple Addy Awards and most re recently was awarded the 2022 NCET Tech Advocate of the Year for Creative Services. Welcome to the show, Wes. Hello. All right. So we are here in the metaverse or a metaverse talking about the metaverse. Um, let's start off with you giving a little breakdown of how you see people using the metaverse today. Um, so there's a, there's a huge number of ways people are using it now. Um, primarily in terms of just pure user base, it's gaming is the, the biggest segment, but, um, people are, you know, the popularity of doing things like virtual events really picked up in 2020 while we were all shut down. And then that has had some staying power, even as things have kind of returned back to normal. Um, people who did the investments um, in metaverse spaces and hardware and software and that kind of thing that saw that it added um, an additional dimension to what they were doing or professionally it added an additional revenue stream. Um, they've just kept it on. So, a prime example would be some of these conferences when they had a virtual version of that conference, even though they've gone back to meeting in person, they're still offering virtual tickets for people who are unable to attend in person because they already made the investment. So they're just going to, you know, keep it going as an option. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of use cases right now. And then, um, if we take a step back, as I, I kind of mentioned earlier, I said metaverse or metaverses, uh, it's a term that people use to mean different things. And, some would argue that, um, you know, metaverse, the concept of the metaverse has been around for a long time, even going back to something as far back as like Second Life. So when you talk to someone that's sort of entering into this space, how do you um, explain how to navigate and, and how to describe different parts of it? So I think the easiest way to think of it um, and a lot of people think of it as these big centralized walled gardens, which is how a lot of it operates right now. But the more general idea of what it is, is it's just the internet with a spatial dimension. So when people get, you know, when you see think pieces saying that, you know, that it's bad or whatever, that's mostly based on people's kind of dystopian takes on them being you know, centralized and heavily content moderated and that kind of thing. But that's not really the real spirit of what the metaverse is. The real metaverse is essentially as free as the internet. It's just the internet with a spatial dimension. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and then what do you see, um, if you were to list out some of the more successful experiences or brands and the way that people are activating in the metaverse, um, who would be kind of the, the top list for you? Um, man, that's a good question. Um, the ones that I see 
if we're not going to talk specifically about games, like individual games, because, you know, a big chunk of it is gaming. So that's going to be Fortnite, Roblox, stuff like that. Um, if we're not talking about specific games, if we're talking about business applications, brands, um, things like that, um, a lot of them are doing a really great job and they're using existing platforms um, and, and they're building on top of them. So there's a lot of conferences and companies. One example would be um, EXP Realty um, that does everything in Verbella, which is a company that's affiliated with the platform that we're in right now. Um, they do everything virtually, all their offices, all their conferences, like everything. Um, and then as far as like brand activations, um, have really seen some interesting things that kind of bridge the gap between lifestyle experience and gaming um, by companies like Louis Vuitton. Um, Nike just announced the swoosh product and uh, experience. Um, other ones would be there's actually some really successful content creators and stand up comedians that do performances in alt space and VR chat. Um, it's really kind of all over the place. What's kind of notable is who's not doing a great job, um, which is unfortunately the entity that's investing the most in it right now, which is Horizon. Um, I've, I've been following them along really closely for a while and expecting a lot and have attended a lot of their activations. And for the most part, um, those have not been quite so successful. And I think that the takeaway we can get from that is that just pure capital, like pure piles of money do not necessarily equate uh, to doing a great job in the metaverse. In fact, a lot of the most fun things I've been to have just been completely grassroots events um, that, you know, cohorts of people with similar interests put on in Decentraland and voxels and stuff like that. It's like, Honestly, some of the best stuff is grassroots, and that's why I feel like these opportunities here, people really should not feel like they're limited by a budget or, you know, by those kinds of constraints. It really is blue ocean out here. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well, let's tie that in a little bit to the industry that, uh, that we work in at, at MediaGel, which is specifically you know, the cannabis industry, which is another industry that is, you know, nascent in many ways is, is evolving itself as it grows and started from, you know, didn't exist at least in a legal format, you know, not that long ago. Um, what have you seen people doing to date and from, you know, a cannabis perspective inside of the metaverse? Um, any notable successes that you've seen today? Um, <laughs> I, I, let me talk about what I've seen. Um, sure. And then we could talk a little bit more about like what I think works and doesn't work kind of at length. Um, so some of the things I've seen is I have seen some cannabis brands do some sponsorship of some pre-existing things like music festivals. Like um, just this past weekend, there wasn't a cannabis sponsor that I know, but just to give an example of what I mean by metaverse music festivals is um, there was one, I think it was Decentraland this weekend that Bjork was the headliner. I mean, it was huge. It was four days straight. Um, and the and just to just as a note for people who aren't familiar with Decentraland, 
um, it's called Decentraland because it is decentralized. Uh, it isn't owned by any one entity necessarily. It's it's run um, in aggregate, and so people own their plots of land. They own their avatars. They own their collectibles. So like the clothes they wear and the little things that they can do to their avatars, those are all assets that are NFTs. Um, and so like it really is a metaverse where people own the things that they have on their person and that they use and that they access. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, that whole concept of a, of a decentralized metaverse, it's really working there. And you're starting to see, you know, so many of these other entities get involved there. So anyway, that, that's just an example of, um, a music yeah. festival. I I can't name one specifically that I remember seeing a cannabis brand at, but I know that it's been done. Um, other things would be I've seen cannabis brands uh, design and launch dispensaries in the metaverse, um, and they've gotten attention because it's like the you know they're doing it as a first, uh, and it got them a bunch of earned media because it was novel. Um, but in terms of like, did it work? Well, I mean, not if you are measuring success in terms of cannabis sales happening in world, um, because that's not, that's not really how, how it went. Uh, and it didn't really, didn't actually work that way. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We could get into that, um, a little bit more later about like what works, what doesn't work. Um. do um, NFT collectibles that are wearables. So in some of these platforms, um, you get something like a 3D leaf that like floats over your head, or you get something like a jacket or a blazer that has a logo on it, or um, sometimes like a, a leaf is a hat or wings that are green. Um, I've seen a few brands do those as NFT drops and either give them away to people for free, which is the more successful way of doing that because you're just doing it for brand awareness, right? So honestly, doing a giveaway wearable for free is going to be the best way to do that. But I also have seen them for sale, people buying them and success with that has been far more limited because again, we're so early with all this. I mean, just engagement participation is a win. So in cases like that, especially with NFT wearables, I think the, the move is to give them away. Yeah. And then just to back up a little bit for some people that, you know, I think there's a, there's a different levels of understanding with NFT. Oh, yeah. NFT can mean different things in different contexts, but going back to what you were talking about earlier, when you talked about something like Roblox or Fortnite as pretty successful, um, you know, metaverse uh, experiences that people use a lot and buy content and sell content. And you can't today take something that you built or bought in Roblox and take that over into Fortnite. And, and the concept here in the metaverse and using NFTs is a, uh, a portable object that you own and you can take into these different experiences is I think a, a really important aspect for people to understand. Because um, yeah. it's something that I think people can, that you can understand the value of that. I know that there's been a bunch of frenzy around particular on the art side of the NFT world. And we've seen that go up and down. And I think that many people just look at that and say, well, this is just a fad, but the underlying construct has 
a lot more value, right? Yep. So it's a it, it's a protocol, and that's kind of what I want to help people understand is, you know, in the '90s with email, people know how nobody owns email. You know, email is a protocol, and you know when we had things like phishing scam emails or getting inundated with spam we didn't throw email away we just acknowledged it's a protocol bad actors and good actors are going to use it to meet their aims um and so you know when there are things that are annoying like spam or phishing emails um princes asking you to hold money for them and stuff like that um sure. We just created spam filters and we also just became savvy to what is likely a scam. Um, and the same thing will happen with NFTs as a protocol. It's a protocol. We'll get to the point where no one even says NFT anymore. It'll kind of be like MP3. Nobody talks about MP3s anymore. It's just music. Um, it'll be the same digital assets and digital collectibles. We won't even call them NFTs anymore. Um, yeah, so it's a protocol, nobody owns it. And, you know, it's, it's a way of owning an asset digitally, that is intangible. Um, but this is a way of making it tangible. It's a way of owning it in such a way that you can take it with you to different places. Um, that's the ideal. We don't have full interoperability at the moment. I mean, that's what devs are working towards. But right now, a lot of platforms, they have different protocols. I mean, like just the way that you code an object um, will work in some platforms and won't work in others. And that's just kind of a technical issue. And it's something that they're working on, but that's the, you know, that's the, the North Star. That's the waypoint that we're all headed towards and that we're all building towards. And I mean, that's the thing is like, this is all very early. It's the, it's the wild west. You know, things aren't going to be perfect yet, but what's important is that we all kind of have a shared vision um, and that all these platforms are kind of working towards some of the same shared values. Um, and I do see that the majority of them right now are. Great. So now that we've got kind of a baseline of, you know, what the metaverse is, some examples of, of what people have tried to do successfully or not, um, let's say that I'm a cannabis brand or a retailer and I come to you and I say, Hey, I hear, I don't know anything about the metaverse. I know that it's a big open space though. And that creates opportunity for a brand and especially in the cannabis space where there aren't really large national established brands, right? There's some, some brands that are getting close to that, I would say. Um, but even today, you know, if you, if you just did a, a family feud style poll, across the country and ask people to name cannabis brands, you wouldn't get a very consistent data set, right? So um, we know that there's opportunity for cannabis companies to build strong brands. And we also know that the metaverse is a place that's, you know, well, it's cluttered and uncluttered at the same time, I guess. Um, but what, like right out of the gate, if I came to you as a cannabis brand or a retailer and said, you know, what should I do? What should I not do? How should I approach this? What would your answer be? My answer, for now, and these things change very rapidly. I mean, the scene looks different now than it did two months ago, than it did six months ago, than it did 12 months ago, um, is it would be a missed opportunity to do nothing. Um, 
but it also might be foolish, especially you know, if, if I'm talking to a CEO, especially considering, you know, economic forecasts and belt tightening and that kind of thing um, to devote a huge percentage of a marketing budget towards this. So I'd say it's kind of somewhere in the middle right now, um, which is there's still almost no one doing anything. So doing anything, you're going to be, you're going to have some degree of first mover advantage. And as we all know, every new social media platform, and you could view this as a type of social media in a way of um, every, so every new social media platform, a lot of who ends up having the biggest audiences has to do with who's the earliest. And that's going to be true here as well. So what I don't want is for people to totally sleep on it and do nothing. Um, there's also going to be a significant learning curve. We're all figuring this out as we go. And if you're out there trying things, testing things, figuring out what works, what doesn't, you know, maybe you throw an event, attendance is low, figure out that, figure that out now, because once it becomes a bigger thing, you'll have a head start on everyone else. that's not doing anything yet. You'll have already done some testing and some trying and some experimenting, and you'll have an idea of kind of what's working, what's not working. Um, and you'll know the pitfalls, you'll know the problems that you ran into. And those are going to be more costly later on. Whereas making those mistakes now is not really going to cost you much of anything. Um, so I recommend just kind of really letting your creatives in your marketing department um, just kind of brainstorm and have a lot of ideas around this. Uh, bring in Web3 consultants, um, you know, just but like really be open minded about this. Um, because we are, I mean, we're inventing this, we're creating this. So like, this is the time, you know, we, yeah. we don't even really have the established standards yet. This is definitely the time. So I would say like, if, if in a typical retail budget, you know, you've got about maybe five to 8% allocated for marketing, I would say of that marketing budget, um, maybe allocating between five to 10% maybe more conservative on the 5% side of doing some building, you know, some brand building, some activations, trying out some sponsorships, just kind of getting your feet wet in this, I think is a really prudent and smart thing to do right now. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's great advice on, you know, following that through, you know, finding someone who has some expertise is important. Let's say that you've got, you know, most people, still probably don't have wallets. They don't, they haven't gone to Decentraland or Sandbox or some of these experiences. I'm just talking about, you know, a marketing or a business owner, marketing person, business owner, um, hiring a consultant expert, that can be helpful. Um, also, sometimes it's not, right? If you don't find the right person, uh, what advice would you give to someone, you know, someone who's been in retail, for example, for a while, wants to hire a consultant to help them with merchandising? That's an easier thing to understand. There's a larger body of work. It might have some experience or some logical things that one would ask. But if I feel like one, um, someone who doesn't know even what to ask uh, when they're talking to consultants, since everyone at this point is kind of self-certifying because there are no governing bodies, 
how would you guide someone in, in selecting the right kind of expert, expertise to help them, you know, go the right direction and not just lose money? Okay, so that is a fantastic question. <laughs> uh, because it is really hard to discern right now. Um, especially if you just get on LinkedIn and you just search Web3 Consultant. The people that come up for that are all over the place in terms of how much actual expertise they have. What I would say is, you know, myself and my peers, people who've been involved in this, like deeply immersed in this for years already, what I notice about kind of the people in this cohort of people that I would say could actually, you know, be good consultants on this, they won't call themselves Web3 experts because they know there are no experts. Um, if you run into someone whose messaging is, I'm the expert, everything I like, I guarantee results, um, you know, like who's, I don't know, it's almost a vibes thing because it, it, overconfidence I think is probably the biggest tip off um, and, and promises, making any kinds of promises because like, the people that I respect the most in this space and who I would call experts, they're very humble. They're completely transparent about the fact that all of this is still being created, still being developed, still being tested. Um, you know, they, they, they won't even necessarily call it testing. Um, they will call it experimenting because like, even the framework of testing in an A-B testing sense is almost too, it's almost too best practices compared to what we're actually doing, which is we don't even have best practices yet. We're building, yeah. you know? So um, I, if, if there were accolades to look for, I would say people who have, um, well, you know, Here's another thing. It's on chain, right? So if somebody has a wallet that they can share with you that you can look back and see activity back into early 2021, 2020, 2019, that'll give you a good sense of the fact that they're not lying about the fact that they've been active for all this time because it's all on chain, right? Sure. Um, but also, you know, um, you can't necessarily I almost have more red flags than I have like good red, advice. Another red, red flags are good. I mean, they're, they're easier to look for sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I would say is a huge following on social media does not necessarily designate anything. A lot of those people, especially not everybody. I mean, some of the people I respect the most have very large followings on Twitter, but there are some people who have very large followings on Twitter. but they don't have any real business acumen. Um, so really basic stuff like how, how different departments interact or how to read a P&L sheet and stuff like that. I mean, some of them just happened to be in the right place at the right time and they made a couple flips and they made a bunch of money in second quarter of 2021 and they said a few of the right things, they went viral and then all of a sudden they ended up with 100,000 followers and now they're kind of considered these expert tastemakers and some of them are highly intelligent and some of them are not. So 
this this is why it's a good question is because it really is kind of hard to discern yeah uh, um, I so... would say probably like other things references um screenshots of actual results so not just a huge following but someone who can share screenshots of hey i you know helped this project sell out in this certain amount of time or i helped this project grow their number of discord users by this certain percent or i helped them grow uh, number of followers on Twitter or something by a certain percentage, like just the way you would kind of vet any marketing consultant is probably, you probably want to use some of those benchmarks, but, um, and then definitely word of mouth from other people that you trust. Yeah. So looking for kind of skepticism over just saying yes <clears throat> to things, uh, humility, provable bodies of work, that kinds of things. You know what it's really similar to? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead. It's really similar to how you can go on LinkedIn and also see thousands upon thousands of people who refer to themselves as cannabis digital marketers. Yeah. There's, how there's you discern between them. Yeah. Because now, there's lots of people that claim it, and there's a much smaller subset of people that are competent. And it's it's very similar. Yeah. I have, um, a, like, I'm going to ask you if you can come up with one. There's, there's, I've gotten, I've gotten to the point where I have a single question that I can ask someone and in, in, on something specific, which is programmatic advertising, which is one of the things that we do, which is a, you know, it's simple on the face because, you know, you're serving videos and banner ads on phones and, and computers, but it's a very, very complicated system under the hood. Um, and I have got one question that I can usually ask someone, which is, to ask them to explain header bidding, which I'm not going to get into right now because it's complicated. What? Header bidding is a is a way that you can bid on impressions, um, and it's a way that is can be highly effective. But um, if I'm trying to discern if someone understands programmatic advertising well, that's a question that you either know the answer to that or you don't. And it actually doesn't necessarily mean that the individual doesn't know a lot about it, but it definitely demonstrates that that person is, is likely an expert if they're able to answer that question. Do you have any questions like that for the metaverse that, that someone can ask? I'll, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll let you think about that. Maybe we'll come yeah, back. Well, you know, I, I think the thing that maybe I would ask would be, um, what are your favorite platforms and why, and which demographic cohorts are best suited to each one? Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I, th because I, I think that, I think someone being able to demonstrate that they know several of them, um, that they know which ones involve a wallet and which ones don't and are essentially MMORPGs, <clears throat> um, and then which demographic cohorts are best suited to which ones, uh, which ones tend to be more events based, which ones tend to be more gaming based, which ones tend to be more art based, because they all kind of have their own verticals a little bit. I mean, because you can kind of do anything anywhere, but certain ones are more suited, you know, like certain ones. The ones that are better for events have more robust audio tools, you know, instead of just the microphone that's embedded in your device, like picking up whatever you're playing on a speaker in your room versus having direct input stuff for an actual DJ. 
you know, like th these are the kinds of things that are going to demonstrate that someone has actually spent time in a bunch of these platforms, understands how they work, understands which ones are user friendly, which ones are accessible across multiple devices. Like the one we're in right now, I love is accessibility because you just use arrow keys to get around anyone that's done anything in any kind of navigation can figure that out. All you do is tap a URL to open it on a phone or a laptop, or you can also do it in here. The best experience is in here. Um, you know, it's not headset only. Uh, it's the, the uh, UX is pretty simple, you know, like, but I would, but you know, this is appropriate for some things, but it's not appropriate for everything. You know, there's a, there's a user limit of 15 in this, in this room. So if I wanted to do a high attendance event, this is not the place. So like being able to answer that question, I think would probably give you a sense of like how experienced they really are. Okay. Yeah. That sounds, um, that sounds helpful. Now I see that we're, <clears throat> I see, I think it looks like Mount Fuji over there. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. and, you, and we've got some nice cannabis clones here. Um, Indeed. Where are we exactly? Let's, we haven't even talked about the platform we're on or how we are talking in our, in our little, no, well, not Roblox, but our little avatars here with our, with our webcams at the same time. Maybe you can tell, tell everyone where we are and, and what it is. So this platform that we're on, um, is frame VR. Uh, the URL for it is framevr.io. Um, it is technically a beta project, uh, beta product. It's not in its full version. They've been developing this thing for at least two years. Um, I've been jumping in and participating as, as a user, um, who's done quite a bit in here. Actually, in the end of 2020, December 2020, I did a 30 day every day sprint where I came in here and built a new VR environment every single day for 30 days, just to like really get quick at using all the tools in here for um, rapid mockups and, and rapid deployment. Um, and me going through that experience, I was, I don't work for their team. Um, but I'm connected to them on LinkedIn and Twitter and stuff and was able to give them a bunch of feedback on what it's like as a user, who's not an employee, <laughs> who's not a dev, um, you know, what that, what that 30 day sprint was like. And, you know, I, I have no idea what, what they may have implemented or not, but, um, you know, like I just wanted to get really quick at using it and it was a really great exercise for me. Um, so that's what this is. And they have a bunch of environments built in so we can switch between environments right now. We are, I can't remember which one this is called. Let me go see actually. Is it like Serenity or something? I think it might be think... called Serenity Garden, but let's double check. Yeah. Let's see. Frame settings. Serenity so Garden. FrameVR.io. Um, yeah. When you know, I, I just recently got acquainted with this. It is shockingly easy to use. Um, yeah. Actually, it turned out to be a little too easy because I got sent the link on my phone and I clicked on it, thinking I was just going to go to a website and read something, and then all of a sudden I was in a room um, talking to you, which yeah. I wasn't actually prepared for at the moment. But uh, it's it's very easy to use. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, so 
Yeah, so that that's what this is, and then this has pre some multiple pre-populated environments, which, for the purposes of this meeting, I customized this one a little bit. So the 3D models of the cannabis plants that are to the sides here, um, I went and got those. They are um, royalty free, free for commercial use over on Sketchfab. Sketchfab is a website anyone can sign up for to download free 3D models of things. Um, and you can also use LIDAR in your phone um, to do your own 3D scans of things to use for yourself or to upload to the rest of the community where they can download things. I've done that and had people download things that I've uploaded. Um, it's like a community repository. And some of the models are paid, but um, I go and I look for things there and I download them. Right beforehand, uh, I, that bud that we have back in the garden there, I downloaded that right before we got started and put that in here. Um, and then also the, the logo, the rotating logo, I, I put that up uh, for you as well. Um, and that was just a very, very quick exercise in branding this space. Um, you can do as much or as little as you want. I mean, you can generate an entire new environment in Blender and upload that and have a completely custom environment um, that's 100% branded to an event or a brand or a company. Um, you can also generate as many objects, furniture, you know, anything really. Um, the thing that's so amazing about the metaverse in general, about this tool, it specifically is, it really is kind of sky's the limit. I mean, there are like file size limitations on making sure that things load quickly. But as long as you stay within the specifications, kind of anything that you can imagine, you can create in here, which is fun. And when you want to build something from scratch, you just go to the empty frame, which is literally empty. There's nothing in it. You just start adding everything from the ground up. Um, but this is this is one of many. There's many tools like this. This company is also affiliated with um, another platform called Verbella, which is very specific to business applications. Um, it's primarily used as a work campus. There's a lot of very large entities like Stanford and the Army and Microsoft and I mean huge companies that have campuses in Verbella where people have an avatar just like this that sits at a desk in a, on the floor of a virtual building um, and where when people want to go interact with people in their distributed remote teams, they literally walk down the virtual hallway and knock on their virtual door uh, to go talk to them. And it really is nice for giving people a sense of place um, because there really is a difference experientially between having a Zoom call where it's Brady Bunch and it's you know nine, 15 people's faces. People don't have those nonverbal cues um, for knowing like when to jump in and not talk up over each other. Um, I'm sorry, wait, what were you saying? No, I'm kidding. I just... <laughs> um, you know, the way that having things, it, it's almost like um, skeuomorphic design to have actual offices. So now you're going to store. you're gonna have to explain skeuomorphic design that <laughs> most people aren't familiar with. And Apple kind of like ditched a while ago. But... Well, don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is hard to spell funky, too. It's a funky word to spell, yeah. So skeuomorphic design is 
when we design things that, that are intuitive to use because they're based on older technology that we're already familiar with. So if you're in a Zoom call with 15 people and you want to have an aside with just one person to kind of like collab on something, like hash something out really quickly and then come back and present it to the group, that's very hard to do with just a bunch of faces and squares. But if instead you're in an office in something like Rubella and the meeting is happening in the conference room, that you and like, you can tap the other avatar, you and the other avatar can go into another room that has a private um, audio zone or a private voice area where there's like a little dotted line on the ground that means only people standing inside this dotted line can hear each other and people outside the dotted line can't hear you. You literally walk into another area, you have your quick little one-on-one -on -one hash something out and then walk back into the conference room you know, to be able to talk to everybody else and present whatever you just figured out. The fact that people are already familiar with what is a conference room, what is a sidebar, you know, like people are familiar with that already from working in a real office. That's a much easier and more approachable way of doing something than looking at nine squares and trying to figure out like, well, am I going to text this person? Do I need to text them to tell them? hey, we both need to shut our cameras off for a minute and like get on a phone call real quick. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's clunky, right? And so skeuomorphic design is just taking what people are already familiar with and building things in a way that it's just naturally intuitive to them. Okay, great. All right, so let's, uh, we've meandered a little bit because it's such a broad <laughs> area of things we can talk it, about. It really is. Um, Let's get back to you know the topic here, which is uh, cannabis brands. How can a cannabis brand launch an experience or, or get into the metaverse? What does the cost look like? Where we are, it's free. If you, I know, if you want to buy land in Decentraland, even though it's decentralized, it is not free. Um, where does where do you start? Um, you know, trying to make a presence. Well, that really depends depends on <clears throat> the company's overall strategy. So, I mean, it's going to be highly individualized based on company. But... Right, let me, I can narrow it down and okay. we'll go through a couple of use cases. Let's say <clears throat> I am a, a brand um, in a, you know, an adult use market like California or Michigan, and I want to create I want to take advantage of the open space that the metaverse represents to get a foothold and start to look like, you know, um, one of the, you know, first brands there and, and take advantage of that open space. Do I go spend a bunch of money and buy a plot of land in Decentraland and open up a virtual dispensary? Um, what I, and I, maybe I'm not even asking the right questions, but I'm, does that, does that give you enough, um, of a direction? Yeah. Um, so what you just described, which is go and throw $20,000 down at some virtual land and build something without any activation planned around it. Uh, no, don't do that. <laughs> no, no idea? Okay. Yeah, don't do that. Um, not to say that there wouldn't be a reason, but um, 
you would really have to make sure that you understood why, like number one, why you would do that before just doing it because it's cool. I mean, the only reason you would do something like that just because it's cool is literally just to get the earned media for it. Um, but where I would say to start is start off by create accounts and just start putzing around in there, become familiar with it first. Um, because it's going to be really hard to do any kind of strategy if you aren't already familiar with it. Um, maybe do a, like a, something that I've done before have done like a workshop on before was doing a scavenger hunt with about 30 people that went through a bunch of different, uh, metaverse platforms and that gave them exposure to all of them so that they had a sense of the vibes, the usability, um, the controls, the platform, who's there, um, you know, like all of that. Right. So I would say the place to start would just be familiarize yourself, start there. Um, and then things that I think, you know, are kind of the most intuitive is things that are kind of parallel to what you're already doing in your IRL marketing. So if you are already a brand that leans heavily on sponsorships of lifestyle events, do the same thing in the metaverse. Um, because a lot of times there are already audiences established in the metaverse and it's much, much easier for you to just go get collab hooked up with an audience that already exists than trying to create an audience in the metaverse than trying to take your current customer base and incentivize them all to go overcome whatever barriers involved in them participating, um, which you can do. And that's definitely like a long-term strategy thing. Um, is finding ways to incentivize people to go uh, participate in the metaverse who are not already doing it. But that's a much higher barrier than just kind of figuring out like, oh, here's a music festival that already happens. Let me go do a sponsorship. The only things you kind of have to be mindful about uh, with stuff like that is whether it's age gated, um, you know, whether it's a platform that tends to skew heavily towards young people because some of these platforms like VR chat and stuff, I mean, the user base skews heavily like under 18. So that's not going to be, <laughs> that's not going to be good. Now, granted the thing around compliance with all this is there are no regulations. Really? There are no existing regulations in any state that I'm aware of that say what legally cannabis brands are allowed to do or not do in the metaverse because this is just too far ahead of compliance. It just the rules don't exist yet. I'm sure they will, but they don't exist yet. And so what I advise my clients to do is when we're in a case like this, where there isn't anything written already is to honor the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. Cause the letter of the law on this doesn't exist, but you know what the spirit of the law is. The spirit of the law is we're not marketing to people under 21. So, do your best to not do that in the metaverse. Um, something that comes up for that would be, let's say you did buy a plot and you wanted to build a dispensary. Although again, there's gotta be a really specific use case for that because people are regular e-commerce is honestly less clunky and makes more sense than people trying to buy cannabis in the metaverse. Um, 
So I, I'd say the primary reason you would want to do something like that would mostly be brand awareness and using it as a portal to get people to then go somewhere else. Um, but where you have to be mindful about compliance is some of these platforms do allow age gating and then some of them don't have that built in. There's no way to do it. You can't really control who walks in and walks out of the space. And so then it's going to kind of be, again, that spirit of the law thing. You're making a best effort. The best effort in that case would be putting up a sign in front of the door that says, do not enter unless you're over 21. The fact that you put that model of that sign that says that in front of the door shows that you made an effort. And that's really all we can do at the end of the day is just try our best to honor the spirit of the law. Um, and then, you know, in terms of what's going to be visible to people under 21 on the outside of the building, you know, like just that any of your signage on the outside, that it would mostly be art, but not necessarily call to actions. Because if you've got call to actions that are saying to buy cannabis on the outside of your building that might be seen by people who are under 21, that's kind of not a spirit of the law thing either. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, where, like what I would advise people to do, go in there, get some exposure to it, do some, you know, experimenting, just kind of get familiar with it. Then once you have an idea of like, okay, here's a platform that seems to skew to an, like an of age cohort. It has some really like already successful events going on, already successful spaces, already has a certain amount of foot traffic. That makes sense. Then look and see who are the most successful um, events, entities, users in the space. What are the opportunities for collaboration there? Um, that's kind of where I recommend people go and not so much this whole, like, let me just build a dispensary in Decentraland because all that's really going to happen if you do that. So for the most part with VR stuff, um, we're not at a point yet where like I'm done working for the day. I close out my tabs and then I pour myself a drink or pack something. And then I put this on. And I just go and wander around looking for something to do and finding people to socialize with. For the most part, people disconnect from IRL and put this on and go connect to the metaverse for something specific with a specific place and a specific time. So you really want to make sure that these activations are, you know, it's a time and a place and you're going to do a lot of marketing on other channels in order to get the attention for that, because we're not at a, if you build it, they will come point in the metaverse. We're not at that point where I'm just gonna build something and people are just gonna show up and it's not gonna be a ghost town. I've seen people spend very large amounts of money to build things and then they build it and then they do the launch and there's maybe a couple hundred people in there for the launch and they have a really great time. And then it sits there empty for time immemorial after that, because there wasn't any thought put into how to make that an active space. So that's, I know I could talk a really long time about all the ways to do this and it's going to be specific to each company and their goals, but for the most part stuff in here, it really needs to be specific activations around a specific date, a specific time, a specific objective, you know, how you're going to onboard people into it. What's going to happen once they're there. 
How are you going to handhold them through that experience? And then how are you going to offboard them from it? So they're going to leave and then what? You're not going to have any con like you have to make sure you've got a follow-up strategy as well that's on other channels because the likelihood of them coming back in and seeing something is not a guarantee. So try to gather their contact information or whatever while they're in the activation. And then you do your follow-up on a completely different channel via SMS or email or something like that. Like you really have to be thoughtful about the entire UX from off world to in world to back off world, you know, like, and how are you going to keep people coming back? Like you really have to be thoughtful about all that because you can't just throw spaghetti at the wall and expect it, to, expect it to stick. You have to be very thoughtful about this for it to produce any kind of ROI at all. Okay. So if we think about, I'm going to kind of summarize a couple things. Um, I know have, I'm kind of long winded. <laughs> that's all right. There's, there's a lot to talk about. So if we have, uh, we have spaces, right? Like places like Decentraland or Roblox, which is definitely not where you want to do cannabis marketing. No. <laughs> um, you have these spaces where you can create a presence. Um, you also have the ability to create um, objects or, or items via NFT, which is a, a protocol. Um, now, those, those are two different strategies, right? In one sense, and, and I would sort of intuitively lean towards create, you know, NFTs being more like a merch, right? Versus a, um, a space being something like a dispensary or an event, right? So if you think about them from a marketing channel perspective, they're, they're two very different things. Um, they both also require different resources, right? So the expertise you need to build this building that we're in and that pond, which I don't know if you can see the pond on the camera, but there's a nice pond there. Um, that's a different set of skills than someone making, you know, uh, avatars or a piece of art or an in-game uh, tchotchke of some sort. Uh, how would you, what is the sort of cost and effort for those two different kinds of things? And what do you think the best uses for those two categories are? And there's probably some more I didn't think of, but I'm trying to sort of narrow down the roads that people can go down as they start to explore this. And I'll just add one more question to my multi-part question here. Um, if you can stack it all into one is, uh, you mentioned that there's some spaces that do allow you to control for age gating. It'd be great to know which ones those are. Um, and then back to the question of like, you know, space, creating spaces, experiences versus creating NFTs or, or merchandise. Okay. I'm going to try and keep all that sorted. Um, so, all right. So the first part of the question was kind of event spaces versus assets. Yeah. Level of effort and, and, and what and if you're going to explore because you want to go check it out your first yourself. Right. So like, if you like, where would, where should I go? Should I go to Decentraland? Should I go into frame or I forget the workspace you mentioned? Um, where should I go look first, build an account, take a look. And then if I need some merchandise, I'm going to need a wallet. I need to understand that experience, how people buy it. What are the first steps that you would send people on their journey? Um, first steps. So stuff like this frame, and then Verbella, which is the one that's associated with it, that's more the business application. Um, those normally don't have anything happening unless there's a specific event or activation. So 
you know, this is a space that other strangers aren't going to stumble into, you know, like I generated this and I created the URL specifically for this. So you're not going to gain, I mean, other than learning how to build, you're not going to gain, but so much out of poking around frame. Um, what I would recommend if you just want to poke around is alt space, um, which you can do on a desktop or headset, um, VR chat, which you can also do on a laptop or headset, um, Decentraland, um, these, so I'm listing off places where there is a community mm -hmm. embedded and there's activity going on all the time. Um, voxels also, um, which used to be called crypto voxels. They rebranded. It's just voxels now. Um, her, Meta Horizon. I mean, Horizon does have stuff going on. Um, there's a... Uh, I think that that's a good place to start. And, and there's not going to be any expense for going and downloading the clients for desktop or laptop. Um, and the only expense of the headset is just owning the headset. Um, so that's not really going to cost you anything. And that's very beginner level to just go check those things out. Um, for wanting to like knowing sort of price points for building or buying or whatever you want to do, um, things like this are, you know, this, this is a beta product and it's free at the moment. Um, those other platforms I mentioned are all free. Um, the only thing that really costs anything um, is if you want to have a private space or a branded space, or if you want to create assets, or if you want to buy assets, um, or if you want to buy a plot of land so that then you can alter what's on it. Um, because a lot of the space in these places, you can go and walk around and explore you know, with, with no restriction, what you can't do is you can't change it. You can't redesign it. You can't alter it. Only the person who owns that plot is able to change it. Um, so just the base level of getting acquainted shouldn't cost you anything. Um, if you want to build a custom branded experience in something like this, which is kind of a, a rapid um, development, if you use a rapid development tool. If you use the tools that are built in, it's not going to cost you anything. If you want something totally custom, you're going to have to hire somebody who uh, does 3D design in Blender or a similar program to design an environment for you, for you to then download that file and then upload it yourself. Um, as far as NFTs... Before you go on, just yeah. what does that cost, right? People understand broadly what it costs to get you know, a landing page made for a campaign or a logo, but uh, most people have no idea. I mean, what does it cost to make a, make this building, right? Yeah, I know there's a range, but. There's definitely a huge range. Um, if we were to go the absolute cheapest route possible, you could go to Sketchfab and you could look for something that looks like this and either download it for free if it says it's free for commercial use or if in order to have commercial use they want you to download a paid model you can do that and so you go find something that's really really close to what you want 
if you want something that is designed totally from scratch, where you have to pay a person to design the thing in 3D, um, depending on how big or complicated it is, how many polygons it has, right? Um, that's going to range anywhere from a couple hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars. Okay. And yeah. what's, what's the off the shelf price range? And again, I know it's probably a dollar to some large number, but if you're taking sort of the me middle part of it. You mean like if you go and download a model in Sketchfab? Yeah. Um, they tend to range in the $5 to $50 range. Okay. So not very expensive. No. Not like buying a plot in Decentraland. No, no, that's, that's a completely different ownership model. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So you've given us some good examples of places to explore from an experience perspective, um, of the ones you listed real quick, and I'll touch on this for a minute. There's well, actually, let, let me jump in Okay, um, go ahead. some information I think is valuable kind of still on that cost question yeah. is. A lot of people that I talk to, when I talk, when they ask like, what do you do? And I tell them what I do. A lot of people are under the impression that things like, and we haven't talked that much about AR, but I'm gonna jump in and say a little about it, that the cost for things like a custom branded Instagram, Snapchat, or TikTok filter, or a custom branded small VR environment like where we're at, um, or, you know, like things like that, or, or, you know, a basic NFT collectible that would be available to their customer base to download for free. People seem to be under the impression that those are massively cost prohibitive and that like, you've got to have at least 20, 30, 40, $50,000 to throw down for something like that. And that is patently not the case. Um, you can get things like, you know, uh, custom Instagram filter that, you know, does makeup or adds a hat or has the animation or whatever around somebody on Instagram to grow your organic reach for your Instagram account for as little as $1,500, depending on how complicated it is. And that's going to live on your profile forever. Um, and what does that look like for someone who hasn't seen that now? Like, so I'm on Instagram, I go to my Instagram profile. What, what happens? Well, normally where people encounter them is when they're watching all of their friends' stories. So they're watching stories and they're tapping through this person, that person, is people use them. So they'll see their friend is doing some quiz or something like, you know, it's like this thing floating over their head. It says like, what neighborhood in Reno should you move to or whatever? And it like scrolls randomly through a bunch of answers and then it pops up an answer. Like quizzes or like maybe it'll be little animated ears or like makeup or like fake tattoos right. or something. It looks like something like that. They'll see their friends use it and then you can just tap the filter to use it yourself. So most people encounter it organically that way. Um, but if somebody wanted to go specifically to go see if your company has one, they would go to your company's account page and then the front page of the account page is just the timeline posts, right? But then there's the other tabs, which will all go show reels and will show things that that account has been tagged in. There'll be one that kind of looks like the little sparkle emoji. If you go to that tab, that's where a brand, like a, an account's custom filter sits. But most people don't go looking for those in that way. People normally encounter them 
organically, which is why they're so useful for drastically growing organic reach. Okay. Yeah. And those aren't that expensive is what you're saying. Depending on the complexity. No. Okay. Many of those are like quite affordable and it's a, it's an evergreen marketing tool for as long as Instagram is around. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and now we're talking about AR or augmented reality, which is different than the metaverse, right? Yeah. Cause instead of virtual reality, it's augmented reality, but it's related. Um, it is, is related. Um, I, people have different, um, I've heard people argue about whether AR should be considered VR or not, um, how similar they are. Um, I guess there's purists one way or the other, but from a business application, AR is, would you say AR is probably more commonly used and approachable than VR today with specifically what you're talking about, something like an Instagram filter, um, or Snapchat filter? Yes, it's already it's already embedded in a lot of people's lives. So a much higher degree than VR. And is there some level of portability that um, a brand could have in terms of, I've got these AR assets that I've developed. Um, can I somehow port them or bring them into VR experiences? Um, in most cases, no. Um, most of those filters are built in proprietary tools. So in the case of Instagram filters specifically, they are designed inside of a program called Spark AR that is a, that is a meta product. Um, and and it, it's to work across meta products. Um, there are other cases where maybe there was a model that you used in a filter in Spark AR where that model is itself an OBX or a GLB 3D model, um, that that model is a lot more portable than whatever is like developed natively inside of Spark AR. Okay, that's helpful. Um, now we've gone around a bunch of different topics. We've talked a fair amount about things to not do, where to explore, generally that we're, we're kind of scratching the surface. There hasn't been a lot of major successes, especially not in the cannabis space to speak of. Uh, I know we were talking earlier and, and you mentioned the Las Vegas Knights and how they, they have something that maybe would be a good model and, and is a good combination of, of features. Can you talk about what they've done and why that's interesting? Sure. So, um, I kind of brought this up in an earlier conversation because I'm not personally a sports person, so I don't go to a lot of games, but um, I went to a workshop that we put on locally um, through the local Reno American Advertising Federation chapter, um, where we invited the marketing department from the Las Vegas Golden Knights to come up and talk to us about how they do marketing. And I thought that they were just a really great example of how, like you could take kind of what they're doing and port that over for applications for cannabis in the metaverse. Um, and kind of like really what, really what they have going for them that's like so unusual is they have a very global view of the whole experience. And so it's gonna be great for someone who's never been to a game and only goes to one. 
And it's also equally as enjoyable for people who have season tickets and go to all of them. Um, they, it's designed to be appealing to all levels. And they're able to accomplish that through some things that to me also will work in this application of what cannabis brands could do in the metaverse, which is they have a great underlying lore. So they've built a lore, they've built characters, they've built story that underpins everything. Um, that is the common thread that goes through all of their experiences. So their in-game experience, they're the entertainment capital, right? So they feel like they have to go above and beyond a normal game experience to really show that off. So, you know, they have really high level production video to do these video stories that show the characters and how they're gonna face off and what the background motivations are, beautiful sets, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, at the beginning of the game, that video gets shown, kind of sets the scene for the whole thing. And it's immediately followed up by a performance, um, you know, where they have basically an ice performance that involves characters in costume that are on the ice incorporated with projection. So they do projection mapping directly on the ice. So the example that they shared with us was, um, I can't remember if it was Portland or Seattle, but it was a, it's a team that's the Kraken, some, some kind of Kraken theme. And so it showed that face off, right? But it also showed the projection mapping involved the ice crumbling away and the Kraken kind of coming up out of the ice and fighting with characters that were live action characters on the ice. It was really like quite amazing. And then like, as the game gets started throughout the game, all their stuff is consistently branded. They've created a bunch of their own memes. So there's all these branded memes that reference their lore that also reference, you know, regular pop culture memes. So people inherently understand them that as something happens, you know, somebody gets a goal, somebody gets disqualified, you know, whatever. There's memes that pop up on all their screens that are relevant to everything that's happening live in the game. I mean, they've just done this really, really great global experience that uses all of the senses and sort of all of the emotional cues that connects someone to brand. And that's something that cannabis brands can do in the metaverse and is opportunity that is just no one is taking advantage of right now is to really see their cannabis brand from a high level, um, you know, like overarching lore and finding ways to tie that in, in a way that you really can't do in just brick and mortar stores or just on social media. Like when you bring this spatial element into it, how much more dimension that gives to all of these brand experiences that like have maybe been translating fairly well, um, across social media or across your in-store experience or through your packaging or whatever, but you really don't get it to that next level where people really have that deep emotional connection until you're able to add something like this kind of a digital spatial element in terms of being able to elicit emotions, deep loyalty. Um, you know, those things are all achievable by bringing it to this kind of a space. 
Yeah, you mentioned something earlier, which I find very important, and you'll hear me anytime I end up speaking. Um, I like to bring up time and time again, which is that you know marketing is about telling stories, right? And and stories is how you communicate concepts to to human beings. Um, and you talked about lore, you know, lore being really the canon of your story, right? And so we mentioned the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They have the lore. They have this canon of of um, concepts that surround their story as a brand. Um, and you're right, what better way to be able to tell your story than in a three-dimensional space, right? So you're not limited to the confines of a screen. Um, you have sound, you have video, you have immersion, you have hybrid experiences like this, where I'm looking at something that's in a 3D experience, but on a 2D screen, yeah. right? You know, right. I can <laughs> I'm moving around here somehow. Let's see here. Yeah, there we go. Oh, wrong keyboard. There, see? Um, I feel like I've been sitting too long. My, my avatar's legs are getting cramped. Um, <laughs> I don't even have legs, so that's not true. Um, I think we're gonna we're wrapping up on time here, but speaking of stories, um, let's maybe show a little bit about what we can do in an environment like this. And, and you can take us to some other, we can do like a little matrix thing, right? Where you can just pop us around to different environments. Yeah. That's one of the things is uh, we have live reactions we can do. Ooh, that. Oh, I think I see it. All right, here we go. <laughs> yeah, down in the bottom right. Oh, uh, look at that. Yeah. That brings emojis to a whole new level. Yeah. Um, there's actually a lot of tools built into this platform that um, without me switching over to edit mode and adding some things, couldn't necessarily do live in the moment but um there's little portals i can add so in other words if i had 10 of these designed um i can drop little portals in that are sort of these you know glowing clouds that you would see and you you know go and uh jump on top of that and it, it ports you over to these other places um whatever models you want and the models don't have to be static like these cannabis plants and that bud that we have behind us, um, they're animated models too. So let me see if I, I might actually have one that I can throw up here real quick. We can go, I don't. I mentioned the mountain before, but I don't think the camera can see it. I'm gonna go over to the mountain here. Maybe the camera. All right. Let's see if our camera. <laughs> yeah, well, the-, the uh, Oh, there's that giant bud, look at that. All right. Yeah. This is, um, this would definitely win some sort of award. Now, was this done with LiDAR or is this, uh, how is this scanned in, you know? I have a feeling that someone either did this with a Matterport camera or with LiDAR, just the, the LiDAR sensor that's in most phones these days. Um, or it's possible that someone used a dedicated 3D scanning camera, but honestly, the quality that you're able to get with just basic LiDAR scanning with a free app on a phone is actually pretty, pretty significantly good. Um, these butterflies over here, over the pond, they're an example of an animated model. So okay. some of these models you can get for free in Sketchfab, they are animated. Um, and you just kind of sit them where you want and they'll, they'll move around within a, a pre, uh, predetermined space. So, like a, a tiger that's in a 
in a running cycle or something like that. There, there's things like that that you could do. Uh, um, is it it's is it simple enough to just go into a, a different room, so to speak? Is it going to take all of us in a different room if we? Uh, yes. If I switch this environment over to another environment, we probably should go back in the center here. Okay. Um, but yeah, well, I could switch us to another environment. And then us, and then these models and the media gel logo, they will all end up going with us. We're all, we're all in, a, in a club. So the, we might end up with plants sticking out of furniture and stuff like that, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Let's, uh, let's pick, um, a spaceship. Okay. Oh. All right. So oh, the, bud, the bud comes with us too. Yeah. Well, you got to bring that on any road trip to outer space. Yeah. Well, I guess air trip. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Yeah. And, I and so other things that we can add, and this is platform specific to frame. Um, there's all kinds of other things that we could add to these. So we can add streaming video. We can add a web browser. Um, hold, hold on. Uh, uh, let me give you the full list. We could add a whiteboard that everyone can draw on. Um, we can upload images, videos, other 3D models, PDF documents, polls. Uh, we can label things with text labels. We can do 360 degree photos. Um, we can designate voice zones so we can like draw on the floor a little dotted line to make it so that only people inside the dotted line can hear each other. Okay. Uh, there's effects that can be added kind of like this. Um, if you see this, this little uh, sparkly thing over here in this corner, yeah. that's one of the effects that you can add. So if you want to draw attention to something, you can put one of these effects on top of it. Um, you can add chairs for people to sit on. Um, we can actually you don't have any legs. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's also some games that are pre-populated. So there's a basketball hoop that I can add that has a basketball that everyone can grab, uh, to throw and play basketball. So there's a ton, there's a ton of things that we can add, um, to these environments, but if you want, we can jump into another one and we can just kind of keep looking at some of these ones that are already built in. I think we've got a couple minutes left here on time. So let's maybe check out one more and then um, if you have any sure. on the wrap up, go back up here. All right. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Go to the logo, right? And, uh, and these Christmas trees. That's what we're going to tell people they are. All right, where'd you go? So it looks like we are now in a some sort of mid-century office building. Yeah. Although I don't know where you are right now. Oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, so this mid-century office building. Um, and it has a second floor if we go back. Does this one have uh, the room? You mentioned you can have privacy rooms, right? Yes. Where am I going? 
I think it might have the library upstairs might be that, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, you don't have to go all the way. Could be the library. Well, we can if you want. Go up there. So learning the controls a little bit. Yeah, they try to keep it simple. Yeah. No, I don't think this is. I can still hear you. Yeah. There's there's no dotted line on the floor, so. All right. Um. I mean, I can generate one. Is there fall damage if I jump over this railing? Uh, no. <laughs> they do tend to keep you safe. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, let's, uh, there's one more we can jump to. Hold on one second. Just because this one has an interesting business application uh, relevant to MJ BizCon. Yeah, it's just right now. Yeah. Okay, this is a nice big open space. Oh, look at this. Yeah, this is the conference. Yep, we're in an expo hall. So this is a way that if people want to do an expo, and you see the dotted line on the floor? Yep. This is a private voice here. There he is. Line, and then only the people inside the line can be heard? Yep, that's correct. And so what uh, video and their 3D models that they're set up and everything and set that up in each one of these booths. And it's not really going to be all that different from <laughs> being in an actual show. So for people that maybe want to be in a show and don't and live in Australia and the shows in Vegas and they don't want to spend $3,000 on plane tickets, this is an alternative. Yeah. Has anyone, um, or do you know of maybe, what is the largest um, example of someone doing some kind of conference like this from this <laughs> perspective? So not in this platform, but I know in Verbella and I know in Altspace, uh, I have attended things that had more than 15,000 participants at once. That's a lot. Yeah, and that's when all of these audio tools become so important because if there were no private audio spaces or if the audio was not spatial based on how close we are to each other, 15,000 people in one place would be a horrendous cacophony. So um, that's why all these audio uh, tools are built in is to make it so that you can't just congregate with small groups of people at once. Yeah, I mean, this would be great. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And uh, MJ BizCon gets very loud, uh, both at the yep. conference and even, you know, things afterwards when you're trying to talk to people. Let's uh, go for the aerial view. Lots of people uh, lose their voices from the screen. Oh, yeah. It's loud. Up here? All right. Yeah. Then we can see the aerial view. I like that you go, when you go up the steps, your body kind of moves up in a step fashion, even though, again, you don't actually have legs. And oh, see, now we're in a, we're in a we're in voice zone again. Yeah. But you can see the, uh, the whole show from up here. Yeah. This is cool. Yeah. Um, so this one is limited to a certain number of users, but over in Verbella, which has a higher capacity, um, they've got an expo hall that is expandable to, I think, a hundred booths. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, this has been really interesting to see this space and see how things are developing. Um, we've covered a broad range of topics. I think we've barely scratched the surface, though. Uh, yeah. It's possible <laughs> where things can go. Uh, what's a great place to to reach out to you? Um, and maybe we can wrap up a little bit with um, talking about uh, your business and, and who you help and how people can get a hold of you if they want to find out more information. So um, the best place to reach out to me is going to be on LinkedIn uh, under Wesley McQuillan. Um, I'm very active on there. Uh, second best you want to keep track more of my involvement in specifically immersion in the NFT space uh, would be my Twitter, which is Wes McHugh, WDSMCQ. Um, but the majority of the stuff that we talked about today, uh, the best place is going to be LinkedIn. And as far as what I do, uh, I have 17 years of experience in marketing leadership roles. That's been in a lot of verticals, but where I specialize now is going to be primarily in age-restricted and otherwise highly regulated products and services, um, things that tend to be hard to advertise, things that tend to be uh, have some kind of level of stigma to overcome, um, things that a lot of the larger generalist marketing agencies are not the best suited to deal with just because the way that they've scaled, um, they're not able to accommodate it all that well. So when you need a unique solution to a problem, I have the bandwidth for that that a lot of the generalist agencies don't have. Um, as far as how I do this, um, if you're looking for programmatic advertising, it's not me. My specialty is more in the organic side. Um, and solutions look like all kinds of things. So it looks like what we talked about. So for people who have maybe been doing a lot of that generalist marketing, or traditional marketing and have kind of hit a plateau. They need to break out of that, do something different. They're looking for alternative marketing. I'm the one to talk to. Like if you've got a complex marketing problem or you need to break out of the box a little bit, do something different, that can be something like um, publicity stunts for earned media, um, doing AR packaging, custom AR, like the Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok filters we talked about building immersive VR experiences at the very entry level scale, all, all the way up to the completely custom branded, extremely large scale. Um, any kind of NFT web three project consulting. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been immersed in the space for several years. Um, and it's not a whole lot of people who've been involved in it for quite that period of time. Again, like I mentioned, I'm not gonna guarantee any kind of results or call myself an expert. What I do know is everything that I've already done, everything that's worked, and I've also been in the space long enough to see a lot of things that have not worked. Um, and that's also extremely valuable. So kind of anything that's sort of bleeding edge tech uh, to solve marketing problems that's out of the box, I'm, I'm a good person to think of for that stuff. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and showing me around and everyone else to these experiences and sharing your knowledge. Yeah, um, thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is the Cannabis Marketing Live podcast uh, sponsored by Media Gel, which if you do need programmatic advertising for regulated industries like cannabis, that is what we do. It's not what Wes does, but that is what we do. Um, but we cover marketing trends here and strategies for growing your cannabis business. 
Next podcast will be airing live Thursday, December 11th. No, December 1st um, at 11 a.m. Pacific. And we will be discussing cannabis lounges in IRL, as you were saying, Wes, uh, real life lounges and, uh, and what's coming next. Thank you. Have a good day.